0: Hello and welcome to A Quick Look from The Long View. My name is Jeff Gamble, host of The Long View, and today I'm going to be launching a new review series called A Quick Look. This is a series that is designed to be a review of more recent games. These are games that either I have picked up myself in my collection, or games that may have been sent to me by a publisher for review purposes. These will be games that I will have played personally a number of times, but perhaps not long enough to have formed a full long view. Hence the name, A Quick Look from the Long View. Today's first inaugural episode will be the game Milestones. This is a game that's come out this year. It is going to be featured at the Essen Fair coming up. It is a game by Stefan Dora and Rafe Zerlind. Um, the artist is Clemens Franz, and this is a game that is released by Spiel originally in Germany, and is being co-published by Stronghold Games. The game plays with two to four players, and my experience is it plays quite well with any number of players. The playing time is listed as 60 minutes, and the manufacturer suggested age range is 10 and up. However, I feel that uh, the game can be played in a significantly shorter amount of time, um, given some experience with the game, and that the manufacturer suggested ages of 10 and up is probably accurate if you want to explore the full depth of this game. However, younger players can certainly play and have a grand time. In the interest of full disclosures, it is important to note that Milestones was sent to me by Stronghold Games, Um, and Stephen Bonacore is the uh, owner of Stronghold Games and is a gentleman that I have worked with in the past. Um, a gentleman that uh, I have some personal experience with. And it is important to note in this review that I do have a relationship with him uh, and Stronghold Games, though nothing of an official nature. Uh, I have worked with and for Steven at various conventions, so there's my disclaimer. Milestones is, I would say, a perfect middleweight Euro game. Now, before I go on to explain why I say that and also tell you a little bit about some of my reservations about the game, I do want to talk to you a little bit about how the game is played. Now, normally on the long view, I don't spend much time going into this because it is assumed that my listeners are either familiar with the game or are more interested in hearing what people with a vast amount of experience have to say about a particular game or game system. In a quick look, We're going to have a little bit different opportunity to perhaps be introducing a game to people. So let me tell you a little bit about the game. The game is, as I said, played with two to four players. The theme of the game is that you are building uh, roads, uh, houses, and markets that are branching out from a sort of central city that is depicted on the board... And that as you build, you will gain prestige, uh, in this case what we would call victory points, as you continue to diversify and spread yourself out beyond the walls of the uh, castle and the sort of central city that's shown on the board. Uh, The game, however, is rather abstract, I will say that. The the theme is not exactly dripping here. Uh, You are basically root building. Uh, The components are wood and very nicely done. There are little uh, wooden sort of, uh, I don't know how else to describe them aside from little root markers or sticks, kind of like the same you would see in Transamerica. And the houses that you will build are uh, perfectly serviceable little houses that you would see in any number of games, in particular uh, Settlers of Catan. And the markets are depicted by uh, white wooden disks. So during the course of the game, what you're going to be trying to do is you're going to be trying to branch out from that starting position. And the starting position is right outside the city, and there's a market there. And you're going to need to, or someone, which is one of the interesting parts of the game, is going to need to start building roads. As you build roads, every time you build a road you get two of those wooden road segments and then you get a sort of a little octagonal marker called a milestone that little wooden octagonal marker is going to go between the two road pieces that you play. Now, those road pieces do have to go on predefined sort of roots on the board. The board itself is divided into what look like triangles. Um, so the edges of those triangles is where you will place the roads. In addition, when you place your two road pieces, the milestone needs to go between the two that you just placed. And at every vertex of the triangle, at every corner of every triangle on the board, there's going to be a number. The number could be anywhere from 1 to 5. And when you place a milestone marker on the vertex of the triangle, whatever number was there is the number of points that you score. So, if you build two road pieces and there is a spot uh, that you are covering with your milestone that says two, you just score two victory points. If you continue to build roads in this fashion, you can continue to amass victory points. There are other ways, however, that you can uh, obtain victory points as well, as any good euro would have. And this is no exception. You can also build houses. When you build a house, what you're going to do is you're going to place your house piece in the actual triangle, in the triangular area that is defined by these lines, these borders that we were just speaking about. And when you place a house, if you recall, when a road comes into a triangle, you may have placed a milestone covering one of the vertexes, but there are two other vertexes of that triangle, and those two other vertexes also have numerical values. If those vertexes have not been covered by another milestone or perhaps by a market, which I'll explain later, then what happens is you will receive the sum of those two visible vertexes when you place a house. So if we imagine a triangle that has the following numbers, 3, 2, and 1, And someone has built a road segment into that triangle across the top of it. Let's say it's an upside-down triangle. And the first piece that they played was outside of that triangle. The second piece that they play is along the top of this inverted triangle. They would place their milestone marker covering the three. This scores them three points. Another player, or perhaps the same player in the same turn, if they wish and if they have enough resources, and I'll tell you how you get resources in a moment, Wishes to later, they can build a house in that triangle now that there's a road that takes, uh, uh, that gives access to that space. When a player builds a house there, Then the two other visible uh, numbers on the vertexes of the triangle, the two and the one, will give the points for the person who builds the house. So in this case, the house would be worth three points. So someone may have gained three points for building the road, and another player may have gained three points for building the house. Or perhaps a very savvy player may have been able to gain six points for themselves all in one turn, three points for the road, and three points for the house. However, gathering resources can be a little tricky, as we'll learn later. Now, the third thing that you can do of major importance is you can build markets. Now, markets also go at the vertex of a triangle. And markets must go at the end of a road segment. So you can't just plop a market down in the middle of nowhere. There has to be a road for people to use to get to the market. So that kind of thematically makes sense. When you place a market down on the board, you're going to have uh, another opportunity to score points. Where you place the market... The uh, vertex that you cover and the points that that shows is going to be the number of points that you're going to score for that market. So in our previous example, let's say we had the inverted upside-down triangle with vertexes of 3, 2, and 1. And we had a player who had covered the 3 spot with a milestone when they were building roads, scoring 3 points. This then means that if a person wished to build a market, they would have to build a market off of the end of that second road segment that we just described. So perhaps that is at the vertex that is only one point. And that might mean that that's not the optimal place to play that market. Perhaps the road ends somewhere else on a board where there is a two spot or a three spot scoring those corresponding points. So that might be a much better place to put the market. The only rule is that the market needs to go at the end of a road. It's important to note that all of these pieces that I'm talking about, the roads, the markets, the houses, they're all the same color. There are no player colors for what you're building on the board. It's a communal build. And so there is competition for all of these spaces because no one can stake any particular claim to any particular location. As a matter of fact, as the game unfolds, there's a little bit of an element of chicken in the game because people are looking to expand into areas that have high point values on the vertexes of their triangles. However, um, if you're the one that kind of builds the road to it, one of your opponents may be able to snatch up that high point uh, total area before your turn comes round again. So there's a little bit of, of tension there, and there's a lot to do with timing in this game. More on that later as well. The last thing that you can do to score points in this game is you can supply a market. And supplying a market is represented by a little round cardboard counter that depicts a sack of grain. It's yellow in color. And you would put that on top of a market. If you supply a market with grain, or as I like to think of it, you're supplying the market with the food that the market is going to sell, you're going to gain some uh, victory points for that. Interestingly enough, with... Uh, uh, supplying a market, the victory points have nothing to do with the number that is underneath the market. The victory points are going to be gained from any two connected locations from that market that are uncovered. This can include locations that have no roads built to them. Uh, This can include any location that is connected directly to that vertex where the market is placed. So if I supply a market... I might have numerous connected locations that would allow me to score uh, some points. So it's not only restricted to the numbers that are inside that triangle where you are placing the supply token it can extend outwards from there. And I envision this thematically as that market is supplying people who live in very rural areas or outlying areas who need to come to the market in order to gain what they need before civilization in the form of roads and houses and more markets has come to them. So this can give you quite the opportunity in order to score some pretty big points because you're no longer restricted by what is visible in the current triangle. You can cast your eyes outwards. And so Some markets, when you supply them, can be very lucrative points-wise. You might be able to get yourself five or six points. So this is another big way that you can score points in this game. So to sum up, the board is a lovely long board full of these triangles. It's broken up into triangular sections. And everybody builds this map, this board, communally uh, out of roads with milestones, houses, Markets and by supplying markets. This is how you're going to gain victory points. The game has a variable end depending on the number of players and it's clearly written on the board which is a very nice touch in that the board contains a large scoring track which is kind of like where the center of the city would be beneath the castle and in this scoring track you'll see little icons of two people standing together. That would indicate the end of the two player game or three people standing together or four people standing together. So you can see right there on the board when the game is going to end. you don't don't have to look it up in the rule book, and it's quite nicely laid out and designed with a little flourish of a touch there. So what we have is we have an abstract uh, euro uh, that is basically root building and resource management that is going to give you a variety of ways to score victory points. So a very solid little game, very solid engine, And it runs very smoothly. There's a lot of uh, player interaction in trying to snag prime locations, trying to set yourself up for better locations, while at the same time keeping a wary eye on your opponents to make sure that they're not going to be able to swoop in behind you and steal what it was you were building for in the first place. Now, all of this is fairly standard, uh, to be quite honest with you. I've seen a lot of games of, you know, root building and resource management. Not, not, not a big deal. The unique twist in this game is how you get the resources to build the things that I've talked about. And that is by the use of a rondelle. Now, for those people who are not familiar with rondels, uh, I believe Matt Gertz is the designer who first came up with the idea of a rondel, and a rondel is basically an action selection mechanic whereby you have a piece. And this piece moves in a circular, usually clockwise fashion, around the board. And wherever that piece lands or stops, you will be able to obtain whatever resource or action that is indicated by that space. So, for example, Matt Gertz, of course, is very famous for designing uh, games like Antiki and Imperial or Hamburger or Mashupishu, or more recently Navigator or Navigador, depending on how you pronounce it. And as you travel around the rondelle, you get to choose the actions you're going to complete. In Imperial, for example, you might use taxation, where you're going to try to gain income for the countries that you are invested in so that you can expand. You might choose uh, to mobilize, where you're going to move the fleets and the army units that you have on the board by selecting that space, etc. So the rondelle has also been used in other game designs, such as Finca, where you travel around Around the rondel, which is this uh, very beautiful little windmill design on the board for Finca. And wherever you land, it tells you the types of fruits that you have harvested and collected to try to fulfill orders. So l- bringing it back full circle to Milestones, Milestones has a rondel as well. And on this rondelle, you have a top section where you are going to be gaining resources. And those resources could be stone or wood, which you need to build houses those resources could be stone and sand which you need to build roads those resources could be grain which you need to supply your markets with and the resources could also be wood and sand which is what you need in order to build a market now the bottom half of your rondelle is a action selection portion of the rondelle so the top portion is going to be your resources and the bottom portion is going to be your action selection This is represented by buildings that are on the bottom part of the rondelle. They each have a name. And the first section is going to allow you to exchange. This is where you're going to have the opportunity to make a little bit of money Uh, And you can make one coin in this game every turn by ensuring that the top part of your rondelle is in numeric order. And there'll be more explained on that later. In addition, on that very same space, you have the opportunity to sell two cubes of any color or or type that you wish in order to gain another dollar. Or you can buy a cube uh, or resource of uh, any kind that you need for $2.00. In addition, you can also hire a worker uh, for $2 as well. Now, the workers are depicted on tiles, and this is really the heart of the game. Now, I know I haven't explained the rest of the buildings yet, but I'm going to circle back now to the top part of the rondelle. The way the workers work is that each worker is represented by a tile and the tile usually shows two workers now some of these tiles will show for example two lumberjacks and they will gain you one wood cube apiece some of them may show combinations of resources you might have a coiner who will produce a coin along with a lumberjack or you could have someone uh, working in the sand pit or you could have a stone cutter so the combinations of the workers are varied by these tiles that you pick The tiles are also a timer for the game in that if the game has not ended by score, once all the tiles, uh, the tile supply has been exhausted, the game has also ended as well. Although I have never seen that happen. I suppose it could, but I haven't seen it happen. What you're going to do then when you get to this location on your rondelle is you're going to hire workers. Now there's an initial draft that I didn't tell you about because that's maybe a little more detail than I need to go into that sets some workers on your board at the very start of the game. However... The way the rondelle works is that every time you come around, you have the opportunity to hire additional workers. And there's space on your board for eight different workers. Very nice. Um, And when you hire these workers, you get to place them anywhere you wish on your rondelle. And each worker has a number listed below them. Now, it might appear as though that number should be the number of resources of that type you're getting, but it really has nothing to do with that. You're only ever going to get one of a type of resource for landing on one worker. Now, what the numbers are is there is an additional puzzle challenge for you. The numbers on the bottom of the workers are something that you need to consider because, as you recall, I told you that every time you come around the rondelle, you're going to have an opportunity to gain one coin. The only way that you can get that coin, though, is if all of the workers on the top portion of your rondelle are in order, numerical order, from low to high, from least to greatest. Now, there can be duplicates of a number like 1, 2, 2, 2, 5, 7, 8. That's fine. Um, But what you can't have is you can't have 1, 2, 2, 4, 2, 8. That would break the chain. The 4, 2, 8 combo would negate the bonus coin that you're going to get when you come around to the first building on your rondelle. Money is extremely tight in this game. So it's usually in your best interest to try your level best, uh, at least until the end game, to maintain that numerical order on your board. So... As you hire new workers, you're going to increase your ability to produce more and more resources. Good thing. This is going to allow you to build more on the map, which is going to allow you to score more points. This is all wonderful. The next building on the board is the one that's going to allow you to actually build. And it lists very clearly on your player board what resources you need to build what. Couldn't be clearer. Very simple. Very easy to use. You are not limited in what you can build. You can build as many things as you have the resources for. Perfect. Uh, No problems there. Uh, The next space on your board is where you can supply markets, and that's an additional building. And I think that's there for a reason, uh, to make it a little more challenging to supply markets. You have to actually stop at a separate location in order to do that because, in my experience, supplying markets can get you an awful lot of points. Uh, that's just a, a, you know, an idea that I have. I could be wrong on that, but it is a separate location and that's where you can turn in two grains to get one of those little round tokens to put on top of a market so that you can score points the way I described earlier. Finally, and here's the rub, you get to the castle location on your rondelle. You must stop at the castle location. Anywhere else on your rondelle, you can whiz around as quickly as you wish. You can skip over things. If you don't want stone this turn and you want wood, you can skip right over the stone and go to the wood. There's no limit to how far you can move on your own personal rondelle, unlike um, most games uh, by Matt Gertz where usually there's a limit of three. Uh, This is an unlimited rondelle movement except for the castle. When you get to the castle, one of your workers has to go and work for the local lord. And this is where the real interesting part of this game happens for me, at least personally, because earlier you have the ability to buy workers, so you are customizing your own rondelle, which is really interesting to me. But the, the best part of it is the castle, because it forces you to then cover they have these little tiles that will cover one of the two workers on your tiles and it just has a little piece of scenery on it a tree or a shrub or a you know person working in a you know walking down a distant road or something it's 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 very scenic very nice to look at but in effect what it does is it takes away one of your workers so that the next time you come around you then have fewer choices and fewer workers which pushes you to gain money by keeping your rondelle in numerical order so that you can hire more workers. So there's a constant tension that's built by this mechanism, whereby you have to send a worker to the local lord. And in addition to that, the local lord is also going to tax you if you have more than three of anything by the time you reach that castle at the end of the rondelle. And that could be uh, cubes representing your resources or money you have to cough them up to the local lord. So the game does not allow you to hoard resources. You can gather as many as you want, moving as slowly as you want across the top portion of your rondelle because every time you stop your playing piece, you are going to get whatever that worker produces. So you can accumulate quite a bit if you have a lot of workers, but then you kind of need to spend them as you come around the bottom portion of the rondelle to the building office and and the other locations so that you don't have extra because it's just going to go to the local lord anyway and who wants to do that. So there's a nice tension built in there, which makes for some interesting decisions. So the last thing to talk about mechanically in the game is that when you move your workers... On the production side, the top side of your rondelle, you have a couple of choices. You can move a, a worker. It's your, you have one little playing piece that you can kind of move around uh, your own personal rondelle that you have customized yourself according to whatever your goals or strategies are for the game. And, of course, according to what tiles were available from a common pool that is there for when you select new workers. I believe it's five tiles. If you stop at a worker, you get that resource. Simple. If, however, uh, I am standing on a uh, worker who produces stone at the start of my turn. That's where I ended my last turn. And there is a worker in front of me that produces grain. And then a worker in front of me that produces wood. And then after that, another worker who produces wood. I have some choices. I can move to the grain space and just take one grain. I can move past the grain to take one wood at the first lumberjack space. However, more likely, if I'm going for wood, I can move from the stonemason past the grain, past the first lumberjack, and land on the second lumberjack. Because I'm gathering wood, I'm going to get one cube of wood for the lumberjack I landed on, plus one cube for the lumberjack I sailed over because I'm activating my wood gatherers, and so all of my wood gatherers that I pass by on my route to collect my wood, through wood in my cart. That's kind of the way I look at it. So this is a way that you can gain multiples of a cube type in one action. And the last thing it would be remiss for me to say is that you get to move your worker twice every turn. So this will give you the ability to you know, gain quite a few resources in one move, depending on how you've utilized your rondelle. It's also, I think, crucial to the game, because if you didn't have two movements or two actions on your rondelle, you would never be able to go to the first building on the lower portion of the rondelle, which allows you to exchange goods and allows you to hire workers and allows you to buy perhaps some cubes that you need or sell some extras that you don't. And then in the same action, go to the building office to build something before someone else gets a turn and can swoop in and take everything away from you. So, that's a general overview of the gameplay. Um, what makes this game uh, special or unique is the first thing I'd like to talk about. And then the second thing I'd like to talk about or what are some things I see that maybe are some potential drawbacks to this game. So, the first thing I would say about it is it is... A very well-designed little machine. The game hums. The game plays very quickly. Uh, my wife and I have played it quite a bit, two-player. I think it's a great couples game. And I would say we play it in 30 minutes. It's, it's very short. Uh, when I played it with the full complement of four, it only took us, I'd say, 40 minutes to play. We didn't even approach the 60-minute mark. And that's because, at its heart, it is a Rondell game. And like many Rondell games, you're basically taking micro-turns. There's not a lot of brain burn as you sit there and try to figure out this big long chain of events. You're taking these short little micro turns until you get to the areas where you're going to trade and build. And that's where you're really going to have to think. That's where you're going to really have to put some thought into looking at the board state after the other players have gone, seeing what opportunities are there, seeing what you can do yourself on your move, and also trying to consider what it is that you can set yourself up for in the future. So this is why this game is not a light game in my opinion there's definitely some strategy and there's definitely some timing there's definitely blocking there's bluffing and there's a little bit of that chicken element that I talked about before as to who's going to start branching out towards these uh, higher valued areas on the board so this is why I think because of the play time because of the fact that it plays very well with two, three, and four in my limited experience with it. I've only I played it mostly two-player, so keep that in mind. One four-player game and two three-player games, I believe. So uh, I played it about seven, eight times so far, and, and this is kind of the conclusion that I've come to. It's a, a very good medium-weight Euro. It has enough interesting decisions to occupy your brain but it doesn't make your head hurt Uh, it plays extremely quickly and yet is not just a light filler it really is a great medium weight uh, euro game that has some really good strategic decisions to make the personal rondelle is something that i think is fantastic I really like the idea of being able to customize your own rondelle based on your own strategies. I think that's a brilliant idea, and I hope to see it in future games. I love the forced choice of having to cover your own workers and then seeing what you can do in the future to rebuild, regroup, or perhaps even shift your strategy based not only on the workers that are available and your own ideas of what you wanted to do, but based on what other players on the common board do, given the fact that the board is built by all players together so I, i don't feel that there's a cooperative aspect to this quite the contrary i think it's very competitive but it it's because you're building in the same space it forces you to deal with each other it forces you to keep an eye on what the other players are doing and what based on the cubes they're collecting you think they're going to do as their optimal move so i i think that everything about the game is a very pleasant experience. It's very well designed. And you know you can tell, I've talked a lot on the long view about how some games seem like maybe perhaps they didn't have all the development or playtesting that I would have hoped for based on how they play. This game... Was clearly play tested and developed, in my opinion, because it's very tight. There's nothing about this game that doesn't work. There's no weird exceptions. There's no FAQ needed. It's very straightforward, easy to learn, easy to play. But if you want to dive into it and continue to dig, you're going to find some depth here. Um, so I think those are the positives about this game. What are the negatives? Um, There's a couple things that concern me Number one, uh, the player boards in this game Are the becoming very standard Thin cardboard uh, uh, Not even cardboard They're they're that thin playing card stock Um, The same thing that we saw in games like Aura and Labora Uh, I hate this I hate it I don't like it I think it's cheap I think it's chintzy I don't like it at all. The boards um, you know, sometimes get that little bow to them the same way that Aura and Labora does, and the tiles you know, slightly slide down one side or the other, and there's just a part of me that thinks, you know, this is an Spiel game, um, Stronghold is the distributor for it in North America. Um, but I think all companies seem to be moving to this style of playboard, and I really dislike it strongly. I, I, I really feel that most of us out there would be happy to pay a couple of extra bucks for the game if we were going to get Agricola-style, you know, thick cardboard playing mats, uh, because each player in this game has their own personal play mat, which forms their rondelle. So... I really don't like it. I, I don't like that for the price point, and I don't like that just from a player's perspective. Uh, you know, to me, uh, I would rather just pay a little extra and get that. Okay, so done with that. that that's my only component issue. Uh, the theme in this game, I would say, is a little pasted on. It's, you know, kind of that typical Euro complaint, which is... You know, basically, it's root building and resource management with a rondelle. And I don't really ever feel very thematic. I don't feel the theme coming through here. You know, I don't feel like I'm expanding civilization and building houses. I mean, the the board is is broken up into this abstracted, triangular type of surface. And it works very, very well. But if you're looking for a thematic experience, I, I don't know that... You're really gonna feel the theme much in this one. I found some connections, you know, for example, what I said um, you have to have a road before you can build a house and markets go at the end of the roads, and and how markets can supply people that are kind of out in the wilds there where there's no roads yet, and that's how you score points for them because you have people coming from distant places to your markets, perhaps. So there are some thematic connections uh, that I see, that I feel, but it's not strong, let's put it that way. So themes a, a little pasted. The other issue that I can see maybe some people having with this game is that the numbers on the triangular vertexes or vertices, I never know which is right. Maybe someone can post and tell me about this. The numbers on the vertexes of the triangles are printed on the map. And so, you know, I've played this game close to 10 times now and there has definitely been now a little bit of a pattern of people building for these sort of optimal areas you know trying to go for those big five point areas trying to get to a location where they know they can build a house that'll get them seven points um, you know when the game only goes to 62 i believe in a two-player game or 40 something in a four-player game you know six seven points is a lot so these are really vitally important areas and so I have some small concern that there will start to be some preferential routes that will seem to be logical as they are built up over time, over and over and over, okay? So that that's one concern. However, uh, it also could be a, a strength. I'm not really sure yet. I haven't decided. And again, this is not a long view. This is a quick look. I, I think that the pre-printed values on the board may end up leading to deeper strategic thinking and possibilities in this game as you try to outmaneuver each other, outguess each other, bluff each other, however you want to put it, uh, that could make the gameplay more rich uh, and exciting over time and much more strategic, or it could lead to sort of a samey kind of a staleness. I'm not really sure yet. Um, The one thing that gives me a little bit of hope is... um, You know, I kind of think of it uh, sometimes, even though the values are pre-printed on the board, I kind of think of it like baseball. Um, uh, My beloved Phillies, for example, and if you don't like the Phillies, I'm very sorry, but I I love the Phillies. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and they've always been my team, so go Phils. Um, At least they're making things interesting now in a late playoff chase for that second wild card. Thank you, Major League Baseball, for the second wild card. Anyway, I digress. Uh, my Phillies uh, over the past few years that they've really kind of struggled, even though they have this great amount of talent. I've always kind of criticized them as saying, you know, why is everyone swinging for the fences? You know, why does everyone want to play long ball? Seems like every time, you know, my guy Ryan Howard goes up there, he's he's trying to kill it. Trying to send it into the upper decks. And, you know, why don't these guys play small ball? Why don't they just go and just get on base, steal a base, single here, single there, with our pitching staff? Before you know it, we're going to win some games, gosh darn it. And so this game, I think, with the pre printed values on the board, offers that same dynamic you can go and play long ball you can go for those big areas and try to see if you can nail them down before anybody else build towards them and go for the big home run or there's also absolutely nothing wrong uh, with going and playing small ball where you're only maybe getting three or four points for a house that you put or you're only getting two points for a road but you know There's not as much competition there. Uh, Not everybody uh, wants to play that. It's not the most glamorous form of baseball is uh, playing small ball. Uh, But, boy, it can be really effective. And I think we have the same kind of dynamic here. Um, So that, that gives me hope that it may not turn stale. Because some people are going to naturally want to be going for the big home run. They're going to go for those big areas. And other people are going to be content to sit back and say, you know what, I'm going to let those people fight over that. I'm going to play small ball. I'm just going to gather my resources, and I'm going to outbuild them in sheer volume while they're trying to outmaneuver each other for these other areas. And by the end of the game, I'm going to win. So... I don't know what the ultimate answer is as far as long-term replayability goes. That's kind of the message I'm trying to say here. Uh, I could see it going either way, and I may end up doing a long view with a a guest perhaps who's played this game a lot as well uh, in the future once we kind of figured that out. But I wanted to take a chance at uh, starting a new series within the long view um, called The Quick Look. And I thought that this would be a perfect opportunity. So, full disclosure with Stronghold aside, I do feel that this game is a solid middleweight Euro. It it is a great couples game, I feel. So Milestones definitely gets a thumbs up from me for right now, and we'll have to wait and see a little bit about its longevity in the future. But for right now, I think this is definitely a game that would be worth checking out. So for everybody out there, thank you for listening, and good night.